Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to Plumber Radio. This is your boy, Steve Scott, and it's been a little while since we recorded a podcast. This episode took a little while to come together because I wanted to make sure that this woman was my second guest. Very important to me. Took a little while for our schedules to align, but once they did, we made it happen. Today's guest is Denise Deegan. She's an Irish screenwriter and author. She writes contemporary fictional and drama novels for adults and teens. And she's currently in the midst of adapting her novels into film. Overall, awesome person. I originally met Denise during my time with Small State Big Takes, kind of on a whim. Uh, Her publicist had reached out to our podcast through Facebook. And at the time, it didn't seem like it made much sense for her to come on. But I was all about it. I just didn't believe that, you know, someone this esteemed would want to come on a podcast like that. But she did, and we had a blast. Had such a great time with her. And that podcast episode was so well received that I knew that when I made my own podcast, that she was one of the most important people I wanted to have on as a guest. So I'm so thankful that she could make it on. And without further ado, here is the second episode of Plumber Radio featuring my friend, Denise Deegan. All right, welcome back to Plumber Radio, episode number two. Today's guest is Denise Deegan, my favorite guest from Small State Big Takes, my time there. I've been dying to have a second conversation with her. She's a Irish best-selling novelist. Uh, her book, Little Book of Irishisms, I forgot the full title, you can re- remind me, uh, was a Christmas gift from my uh, aunt to me, and I read about half of it. I'm not a big reader, but I read her book, uh, and this is she's my favorite author. So, Denise, how are you doing? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me back. Um, so, and, and the only word you missed was little. The little. little. Book of all. <laughs> I, I re-listened to a little bit of our episode, and I I recognize that the word idiot is one of my main words now that I use. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Among my <laughs> friends, my cousin. I call my my cousin an idiot, or I forgot the, the the exact pronunciation. That's how I say it. My that's my little American way of saying it. But. Yeah, I think I think I I mean I was even listening. So we we say Egypt. Yeah. Um. But what what I've noticed as well is Irish people, um, especially when when I was speaking to someone from the UK recently, and when we speak, we don't are the end of our words that end in T. We don't really cut them off properly. We do. So I'll say it again, Egypt. It's like it's weird. It doesn't sound like. E-E-J-I-T. It doesn't sound like it. It just has a weird ending, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Egypt is a good one. That, that's been a good insult, you know, to use on people. Yeah, it you... means idiot, just for those who don't know. Right. Idiot. Everybody uses it here. It's so commonly used. Has there been any n- more new words that have popped up in this time? Like... Because I think we we recorded that episode. I don't know, was that a year ago or two years? I, I don't remember if it was two years ago at the, at this point. Because time is kind of. I know at this point. Pandemic has really made time strange, hasn't it? It seems yeah. to me one year, but it could easily have been two. So in that time, has there any has there been any new Irish slang that I should be aware of? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, actually. I haven't been monitoring it. Um, and again, it's the way I think it's it's young people are change language 
more quickly and we're we're actually quite influenced by the states um but yeah so a lot of the young people would probably be using americanisms true well how about well the thing is uh i played our episode original episode for my my family and stuff and my sister did a did a semester abroad and she was telling me oh yeah everyone talks about crack like every everybody like what's the crack or you know good got good crack for me and that just means, you know, what whatever's good to talk about, right? It means two things. And I think it, one of the things that I that what I found when writing the book was that our words say so much about us as people. So we use the word crack to mean two things. Um, well, apart from the obvious. Um, crack, we use crack the same as everybody else. But we spell, if we spell crack, C-R-A-I-C, that's a completely different meaning. And that means two things. It can be depending on the context. So it could mean fun mm-hmm. or the news. So, if, so, so often you'll hear someone say, what's the crack? What's the crack? And that, you know, we could say that instead of hello. It's right. just like what's the crack or just even crack on its own. Crack or any crack. So it's, have you any news? But it also means fun. Like, oh, he's great crack. Like he's a really good fun guy. He's great crack. Or we had great crack or it was great crack. And it's so ubiquitous. We use it all the time. And I think it does say about Irish people that those are two big interests of ours. <laughs> what's what's the scandal? What's the news? What's the stuff? And also having fun. And I when I say fun, I just mean innocent fun. Like we just are kind of jovial people, yeah. generally speaking. Great word too. I like I remember talking to my sister and she said that um, people were asking her what the crack was and she thought that they meant the drug. Like, they, 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 like or like you, you never tried crack. That was, that was one. She was like, wait, what? Like, you know, <laughs> once you understand that that's what that means, it's, it's a, it's a great word. <laughs> yeah, true. It's like, there's another one. And I was just thinking about this. Um, one of the things we say um, is that's gas right that's gas as in gas and it just means that's hilarious that's gas or that you know that's really so for instance a friend of mine who's american we were texting forward and back and she said something that was unusual and i just replied with one word which is gas right yeah and did a laughing emoji right and i was just thinking actually before i came on she probably had no idea what I was talking about when I just said gas like that. She probably thought I meant like is in gas. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, like there's there really is a lost in translation thing. Like when I when I decided to collect Irishisms in, in the beginning, it wasn't that I was thinking of writing the book. It was just I was over in the States and I was with a friend of mine and um, we were just chatting and we're both speaking English, obviously. And I said, here, give me that yoke. Right. And she looked at me as if to say, what are you talking about? Right. And it, so we use the word yoke, um, but we spell it Y-O-K-E um, to mean thing. And we use that all the time because, it's you know, when you're too lazy to think of the word of something, like right. you just say, oh, give me that yoke. And that's what actually started me off thinking I need to actually record all these words that we only have in Ireland that nobody knows what we're actually talking about and we think everybody knows right until someone looks at you as if to say like what egg yeah. what are you talking about why are you talking about eggs at this moment um so yeah 
how long did it take you to, to compile all those words together? Like, wh- when did you know that it was like that was a sufficient amount of words or isms? You know, what when when was like the the cutoff point for you? So what happened was I just started collecting them from my own entertainment, but I have um, sort of a, a newsletter that I send out to my readers because I'm a novelist and um, I started a lot of the people on my who receive my list um, are American and a lot of them are Irish American. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just put an Irishism at the end of each one. And that was just how it started. And people loved it. And I just kept doing it. And then I thought, you know what? I should really just put them all together in one place into a book. So but at that point, I think I might have been collecting them for about two years unintentionally for any particular reason. And then when I decided to put them into book, then I decided, oh, I'll organize them into different sections. So, yeah, it was it's been such fun. It's been such a pleasure to do it. And I've learned much about what it is to be Irish as well weirdly enough yeah unintentionally gives you a lot of, of pride for the irish you know culture and vernacular well it's just like so for example um we do things like things that are, we would have say so so one word that we'd use over here in in our own context it's a word everybody uses but in ireland the word notions you know she has notions or we just look at a person and say oh notions like as if they think they're great like that's something that we are not interested in over here if we think somebody has notions it's like it's the worst um, so, yeah so so in compiling all these words I'm, I'm realizing oh yeah that's a really Irish thing to not be impressed by somebody who's in love with themselves you know what I mean oh. that's very yeah. So would you say that like the, the normal kind of Irish feeling is to be more humble, you know, like more? Um, yeah. 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 And in fact, we have this thing which, which we do. And I, I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing, but it's a we call it slagging, you know, where you're kind of another way of saying that is taking the piss. Do you use that word? You know, where you well. you're basically. Secondly, mocking someone. So, so it's like, and we grow up with this, you know, we slag each other all the time. So it's kind of like, it's part of who we are and it's tongue in cheek and everybody kind of knows. And and then I presume the idea is, although it's all, it's all subconscious, is that nobody gets a big head because you're just going to be slagged. You know what I mean? Right. If you, yeah. Um, but getting yeah. Cut down. <laughs> getting, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the person doing it will enjoy doing it. And everybody else around will also enjoy it because it will be very funny. Yeah. It's so do you remember? Oh, you probably have never heard this film, but there was an Irish well, I think it was an American film. Well, it was an American Irish film. Um it's set in Ireland supposedly in the 1950s, recently, and it was called Wild Mountain Thyme, as in the herb thyme. And um it was it was very very heavily Irish. When I say Irish, we have this expression called Irish, O I R I S H, which is when people are overdoing the Irishness gotcha. of Irish, and that's what that film did. It was really Irish, and uh, so. But on Twitter, oh my goodness, it was the funniest thing. It was so much more entertaining to go on Twitter and read the tweets by Irish people about this film 
it was hilarious. The guards, our police even tweeted about arresting people, you know, because of the the bad jokes in the film. I can't even remember, but it was just so funny. But that's that's basically a big part of being Irish is like, you know, if you want to be full of yourself, off you go. You yeah. will suffer. <laughs> so people will not let you get away with it. I love that. I, I, I love I love how accountable the Irish people make the other Irish people. You know, you have to be, you have to be like, I don't know, you have to understand that you're, you can't have yeah. too big of a head. That's it, you can't. And there's this other thing that isn't so great called, and I don't think it's, to be honest, I don't think this is as big a problem now as it used to be, but it's a thing that we call begrudgery. And again, another Irish word. So, so if somebody does really well, you know, you're kind of like, you don't like it. You know what I mean? If someone, it makes it really big on the international stage. Like, let's say you two. Yeah. And like they, people, let's say in Italy, would love you two and they'd be adoring of you two. But in Ireland, I'd say would be their toughest audience. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just because they're from Ireland and they made it out? Yeah, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. Well, I, I want to ask you, because I recently watched... um. Well, I watched the first episode about halfway through because I have a weird attention span. But I watched um some of the Conor McGregor uh, documentary on on Netflix. I haven't watched. Yes. Oh, you gotta watch it. It's, it. So I mean, so far the first episode was really good. And but he he talks about his beginnings and he started off. He he said that he, I think he was from Dublin, but like like a yeah. but like a, a suburb of it. And yeah. uh, he was saying that like there, he, the big thing is. You get a trade or a, like you have to get a job and you have to support your family and you don't leave that town or wh- wherever you're from. It, like that's, that's just the way it is. So for you to be a dreamer, you know, that you think that, you, Oh, you think you're going to be a, a, a fighter? Yeah, no, that's not happening. So like, he, so he tried to go that, that route of like, Oh, I'll be a plumber. And he tried it for like, like 18 months or something. And he's, he's like, this is not for me. And uh, he was, he said, he said that he was really like hated on by his, by his you know people that lived in his town and stuff and he but obviously he he didn't care and he just kept going with it and obviously it worked out but he he knew that like taking this risk was a huge deal among the irish people from where he was from and when i was yeah. watching that i wanted to, i want to tell you that too because i was like that's something that denise would probably understand like the, the culture yeah. of that you know yeah Definitely. And, and certainly in, in kind of in rougher areas, it would be even harder. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it would. Yeah. But um, yeah, I must I must actually watch it. I remember a few years ago, um, I was visiting a school in the South Bronx, a few schools doing story workshops with the kids, just volunteering. And I asked them, do they know anything about Ireland? Right. They knew two things about Ireland. One of them was leprechauns yeah. and the other. Conor McGregor. <laughs> He's a huge deal here. He's a huge yeah. deal. Yeah. It's I love Conor McGregor. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. He's, he's, I'm trying to think of like, for, for me, like Irish, like, yeah, he's probably the biggest in my mind is like the biggest Irish guy, you know? Yeah. I think, I, I think the widest, you know, following the most famous, I mean, you have a few Irish actors, but, you know, Colin Farrell, Farrell exactly. Um, do you know well you'd know Saoirse Ronan Saoirse Ronan Saoirse Ronan no uh, <laughs> okay, so, sounds familiar um, what's his name the guy from Cork oh my gosh why can't I think it was Killian Murphy 
Killian Murphy. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's he's got the the blue eyes. He's kind of scary looking. He's yeah. from uh. Yes. Yes, Cork in Ireland. Yeah, he's yeah. He, he's gonna be in the Oppenheimer movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That movie looks freaky. He's I. I didn't know he was Irish though. He is. Yeah, he's from Cork in Ireland. That's where I'm from. Oh, no way. Cool. Yeah. Is that a big city? It's a it's a it's a smaller it's actually kind of hilarious because it's um it's a county and then this the, the capital of the county is Cork City and to the south of the country and people speak like this in Cork this this go up and down it's very really? musical oh yeah and um I always think that the Cork people get away with murder you know because people think that they wouldn't be doing any harm and um, that's that's the way people speak in Cork and I can I'm allowed to do that because I'm from Cork yeah. but I've been years since I lived there now but um there's this ongoing joke that Cork is the real capital uh, you know and Cork people do that as a joke but Dublin people think that Cork people have a chip on their shoulder they actually don't Cork people are hilarious they're really funny they're really relaxed and laid back um but Dublin people don't like them they don't like us but you see they don't know I'm from Cork so they can say that to my face and they don't think that you know because they don't realize I'm actually from Cork so it's kind of hilarious I just <laughs> think it's funny Cork people think it's funny Dublin people don't think it's that funny but it is funny. That is so you because because you speak you know normally like to them. Yeah. You sound... So I sound like I'm from Dublin because I moved from Cork to Dublin when I was 17. So okay. I don't sound Cork. Although sometimes, like if I get excited, I might speak with a Cork accent. It'll just come out. Like I've never tried to hide it because I love the Cork accent, but it just disappeared over the years. But um, if I go visit my best friend that I grew up with in Cork, who lives in San Francisco, I will come home with a Cork accent because she really? never lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really funny. That's funny that you can hear Irish. Well, like, that's just, I guess, how it is, though. But among Irish people, you can hear their accent because you're and you're also Irish. Like, like among Americans, like I have a I think I have a uh, was it New England accent, you know? drop ooh, the r ooh. the end of stuff but and i'm mm. sure that you guys hear like so i, I want to ask you so how what what does an american accent sound like to you like irish accents to me sound like it, like you sound like an irish person to me when you speak i right off the rip i can understand that you're irish but mm. i wouldn't know where you're from you know what i mean i just know that yeah. so like for me for you how do i sound to you yeah i would say i would yeah i would have said east coast um like I would detect East Coast versus definitely Southern, like a huge difference there. Yeah. Um, probably wouldn't detect a huge difference between East Coast and West Coast. It would be more East Coast and Southern. Southern is very different. Um, and then there there are different accents like um the Newfoundland one. I and then um. Yeah, but 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 the, the the is there much variety in between? Then there probably is loads of variety, and I just don't hear there, it. You have well, you have Midwest too. Those like um, can you do people. it? Can you do it? Can you put it on now? So, so a, a Midwest one would sound like. Is, oh, you've got the Fargo, Fargo, and all that kind Fargo, of. Fargo, yeah. Hey. Fargo, yeah, like like I yeah, love exactly that. Like, that's and that's real too. It's like, oh my god, there's some people. It's it's funny, my friend. One of my best friends, he's he lived here and he moved to Nebraska, and then he came back home, and he had this little accent. So he's like, "Ooh, 
oh hello like, like, like just a little just a little bit off like a little bit changed yeah. like try to think of a word he but I, he like he lived there for like 10 years and he comes back and he had oh. this whole new way about him you know you would, so Con- would. connor if you're listening dude just speak normal all right <laughs> and they change, they have different words too like and i'm sure you like have that in ireland too but like like he comes comes back and he wanted a soda and he's asking for a pop. I'm like, uh-huh. you know we don't say pop. Come uh-huh. on. But do, do you guys say <laughs> what do you guys say for for soda or pop, whatever? Um. So long ago we would have said mineral a mineral, but you don't say that anymore. Now you would just say the actual probably the brands really a Coke or a whatever. Yeah. We would we wouldn't say soda and we wouldn't say pop. Okay. Fizz, you, maybe fizzy drink, but. Yeah, fizzy drink or just like a Coke or you tend to use the brand name. And, and most people just, I mean, when I was a kid, there were so many different, you know, drinks, fizzy drinks that you could get. And now you can still get a variety, but most people just sort of drink Coke. Yeah. Are you guys a soda, soda drinking kind of country out there? Like, do you guys like, you know, yeah. like, I feel like Americans are like, we're just always drinking Oh yeah, yeah. Not not so much. Um, drink like if just people walking in the street. Obviously, they could obviously be drinking water. I guess water is probably the most common you see people drinking. Um, yeah. yeah, or um, or probably Coke. Yeah, but I think yeah, no, you're much bigger on the sodas over there than we would be here, probably. Yeah. Yeah, we're a big big. It's like soda world well, over here. Yeah. Now that I think of it, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah. Hey, you, you, well, I wanted to ask you too, have you seen Banshees of Insurin or however you say it? Yeah, the Banshees of Insurin. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Okay, so I am a massive Martin McDonough fan. I love every single one of his movies, especially Three Billboards and Seven Psychopaths. Love them to pieces. Now, Banshees of Insurin. I didn't want to watch because I love Martin McDonough, but I also hate stories where people fall out, you know, like yeah, War of the Road, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I hate, hate stuff. Like it stresses me out. So, yeah. but it was on Disney. I have Disney. Watch, I said I'd watch five minutes. I don't. And I thought, okay, I'm probably not going to like it. And then, so I, I started watching it. And I thought, actually, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. But then, it got to the bit, well, I wouldn't even say because I don't want to spoil it for people, but there is a bit where involving a donkey. Yeah. And that's when I just thought I don't really, this is just too bleak for me now. And I suppose it didn't make too much sense to me why he was so adamant that he wasn't going to be friends with Colin Farrell anymore. And um, I don't want to give away the ending or anything like that. I won't. But, but I, I think at that point in the film, I saw sort of withdrew emotionally a little bit. Um, I know people are giving out about that it's over Irish, the whole thing that I was saying earlier. I forgive it all of that. It's, that's fine. With, I'm fine with all of that. I don't think it's too overly done. And I do think he's a genius. But yeah, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to like it because because of, I don't like those type of stories. What about you? Did you watch it? I did. I watched the whole thing. And I'm with you. I, I actually had a hard time... I th- I couldn't believe that they actually couldn't mend the fence. I I, d- I didn't know why they they wouldn't become like it was sad. Like that movie was that movie was really sad. It I, was really it bothered yeah. me. 
like for the rest of like I watched it with my mom. We were just hanging out and um it was on HBO and my friend told me to watch it. He said it was kind of disturbing, but I might like it. So I was like, okay. And whatever, I'll just say it. He, he when he cut his first finger off, it's like, yeah. okay, what the hell? And then when he he really cut all his his fingers off, I was like, what the hell? What is going on? Like, isn't that this can't be like I don't I don't know. And yeah, the donkey part was too far for me too. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't make huge amount of sense either because he was a musician and he needed his fingers to play. And I don't know, the, I didn't. It was get... supposed to be a dark comedy. Is that is that what the point was of that? But I don't understand how they describe movies. Sometimes they they'll say a comedy thriller. And I'm thinking, where's the comedy? I didn't. I don't where know. was the comedy? Right. I don't know. I don't know where. I mean, I loved actually. I love Barry Keoghan's performance, and I actually bet money in the bookies that he would win an Oscar. He didn't win an Oscar, but Paddy Power bookies in Ireland, they gave, because they felt that he deserved the Oscar, they paid out every single person who bet. Yeah. No way. Yeah, even though he didn't win. It's wow. hilarious. <laughs> I know. Well, what was he was up for? He was up for Best Supporting he Actor? Best Supporting Actor. He got a BAFTA for it, but he didn't get the Best Supporting Oscar. He was up for that. I think he should have got it, honestly. I thought it was really good. He was great. He was great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and I, he's the Joker now. Did you know that? Is he? Yeah. Ooh, he's, he's, my he's, goodness. He's the new one. Eric Career. How old is he? Um, Is he in his either late 20s or early 30s? And he, he had a very, like, he was a foster kid. He went from foster home to foster home. And he's, you know, he's just, he, I think, what was the story I read? That he didn't even have the money to get to his first audition or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what the story was. But, I mean, he hasn't looked back. I mean, it's it's been, you know, his, I guess he's calling if there's such a thing <laughs> anymore. But it's, it's obviously what he's really good at. Um, I wonder, but I, thought, I wonder if he got the, the criticism, too, of... of uh leaving his town you know what I mean I wonder if he got in trouble among no, his peers but really people really um I think people really admire him because he's sort of you know succeeded against the odds do you know that's that's something that we would love kind of you know that sort of story would be right. yeah so he's he would be very popular like people would really like him and I loved as well when he was well, first of all, there were a few things I loved about him and his Oscar. I loved the way he dresses. He like dresses right up. I think in the Baptist he wore, wore a red suit. I love that. And then when they were asking him what he was doing or what party he was going to afterwards, he was saying, no, I'm just going up to my hotel room with my little baby son. And I just thought, oh, that's so cute. He's yeah, a good guy. So, you can tell he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your... So is... Uh, Martin McDonough, your favorite Irish actor of all time? Or... Um, director, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, probably I would say, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. How about Irish movie? What's your favorite Irish movie? Great favorite Irish movie. There are a few of them. Um, Cavalry was a good one. It's about um, a priest. It's, it's also dark. It's very edgy. I loved that. And there was one called The Guard. Um, and both of those were Brendan Gleeson, actually. Um, what are the Irish? Um, oh, uh, The Commitments. Have you seen The Commitments? No, I don't think so. That was based in 19, I think the late 1980s, about a band called The Commitments. 
I would recommend you get that. I think you'd really like that. Um, and it it was I don't know if you heard of the writer Roddy Doyle. It was based on a book by Roddy Doyle. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's where there was one called Sing Street. Sing Street. As with Irish movies, are they're not big blockbusters. They tend not to be. Um, all of those. There's a big hit Irish movie. Um, that did it win the no, it was up for an Oscar this time around. It was in in the Irish language. So over there would be called the Quiet Girl, and over here we would it was on Colleen Kuhn, the Irish version of that. Um, that was really sweet. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There they they do tend to be smaller kind of productions. The Irish language is this still like? Do you guys like? I don't know. Do you guys use it still? Like like a lot? Like is it like a? Okay, so it's it's like we have to learn it in school as compulsory. Um, some schools they'll do the whole schooling through the Irish language. They're called Gales Gale schools. Um, so everything you learn, you're learning in the Irish language. So so everybody around you is speaking English, but in school you go to school and you 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 base it's it's actually quite wonderful. It's it's definitely the best way to teach Irish because the people who go to Gale schools genuinely love Irish you know and it's part of who they are and you'll see them out and about talking to each other in Irish and it's lovely and also there are pockets of Ireland little small gale tucked areas where everybody who lives there they're usually very rural um, and they would be gale tucked areas and everybody speaks Irish gotcha. and so yeah so in school what we would have done when we were kids is we'd go to a gale tucked area in the summer holidays um to learn Irish but really to meet boys actually <laughs> um but yeah so it's it, it, it's it's I'm really I love that we had to I mean, at the time I didn't love having to learn it to be honest I was thinking we're never going to use this what you know what a waste of time now I love that I know Irish words um I'm not fluent but I'm I love our language and I love that we have held on to it because places like Wales they don't speak Welsh they don't really know um and Sc Scottish as well um so they've kind of lost it a little bit and there's always this ongoing conversation about should we should we take it off the compulsory thing should we just let it be by choice then nobody's going to learn it they're not right. going to learn it right and it's going to die and it's you know we had to fight for our freedom our country and it's you know our language is very much part of who we are and it's I think it would be a huge loss so I mean I love the cupola focal that means a few words that we have um but even even the English words that we speak so a lot of not a lot of them but some of them the very unusual ones they come from Irish so there's a word that we use um called bockety and it's like you know, if if an example of something being bockety would be, you know, when you have when you're in a restaurant and your table's a bit wobbly, yeah, that, that comes from an Irish word called bockock, which means lame. So, some of our words we use as English words, but no no other country will know what they are because they've come originally from an Irish word. Gotcha. And I love it. it just means it's richer language. We don't to. You say these words, they make sense when you hear them, even though I don't know, like, off the top of my head what that meant. But, like, if you were to, if you and I were sitting down at a table and you said that, I'd be, I'd know what you mean, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make yeah. sense. These always words kind of make, and, and the phrases too, like it, among the context, you know, like even like when you were saying like gas, like that, that was, and that was, okay. you know, that, that makes that makes sense, you know, in the context. Yeah. Good. Good. It means we're not going around <laughs> understood. <laughs> And, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not receiving that text. You know, maybe if I got the text, I'd be like, hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> yeah, because an awful lot of it is the intonation. You know, right. it really is. You know, with the way you say it, it's like, um, you know, how are you, how are you doing? I'm grand. Like grand in Ireland is a word we use all the time, but it doesn't mean what everybody else means like in england if something was grand it would be fantastic but here it's the opposite it's like oh it's grand it's just okay it's okay gotcha. but then then if if somebody says um oh grand all together that's good but you need the intonation you know so part, right. the intonation is really important are irish people sarcastic would you say yeah. like yes but, yeah absolutely yeah really sarcastic and if we go somewhere and people are just people, if people don't understand sarcasm, we're kind of going, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed because we're just so it's so ingrained in us, you know. Right. I feel like that's around here too. And then there's parts of that like America that are not so that are more serious or more deadpan, you know. Yeah. Around here, we're all, I think we're always saying sarcastic like things sarcastically, you know. Yeah. And that leads us to our first break. So thank you for listening this far. Buckle up for part two coming now. And then after this, I'll be releasing a second full episode for our last part. But here you go. The second part of the interview beginning now. All right, I'm back with Denise. So Denise, my question to you now, after that was great talking about the Irishisms and stuff, but now I want to know, so what have you been working on lately and how what's been going on with your career? Okay, well, uh, I have not been posting at all on social media and I think people think that I have stopped writing completely, but I have not. I have been working more in screenwriting. So I have written two features and um, outlines for two TV series and all of them have been optioned, which is the very first step in getting them to production. But obviously there's so many more steps that have to go ahead. I've had a little short film made called The Innkeeper, which I love to pieces. It's a Christmas short story. It was a short film. Um, so and uh, a TV show over here that you will never get um have asked me to uh to write some scenes and then write an episode and um, with a view to writing for the show if they like what I do. So been I've been so busy, but it looks like I've been doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens too. You know what's funny in in the world of social media too is when you don't post something, everybody thinks that you stopped living. At least yeah. everyone thinks, oh, oh, that person's just doesn't exist anymore. You know? <laughs> And it's it's just a habit too, isn't it? You just get out of the habit. Yeah, um, the habit, yeah. Right. Yeah, because my, my, my husband bumped into somebody and she was saying, Oh, it's Denise, okay. I haven't seen her on social media. And he's going, Oh no, no, she's fine. She's writing away. And and that person was like so relieved. I felt, oh, maybe I should post something because there are people out there thinking like that I I don't know, maybe they think I've died or something. I don't know. But yeah, even my readers, sometimes my readers will, because I haven't been sending out my newsletter either. I've been very bold. Um, and uh, bold in Ireland means naughty. Yeah. And 
so I haven't been doing that. And a few people have been in touch. Oh, is everything okay? La, la, la. So yeah, I know. I know I should get back on the horse. Eh, whatever. You're you're working hard. How about oh, I have a question for you? How what's the um what is it like for people in Ireland with Instagram? Because I feel like Instagram is the one here, maybe among maybe among like my peers, but like that is the big one that um is like the social like like the one that everyone looks at and that's the one that everyone like judges how well everybody's doing like like yeah. like for like for me for example like i, I don't post on there much cuz i cuz it makes me uncomfortable because everyone's always doing great on instagram and then on twitter everyone's depressed like that's how, that's how it feels <laughs> you know and facebook is like just showing off like what accomplishment that you've done recently is it like that over there on Instagram too for you? Uh, Instagram is is huge, um, especially with younger people. It's mm -hmm. really big. Um, and they're they're like my kids would be when they speak to each other in sort of Instagram speak, it's like a different language. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and they're talking about memes and this and that. And it's so for young people, it's Instagram all the way. Um, and they've no interest in Twitter or definitely not Facebook. Um, it's all Instagram. And then Instagram and TikTok kind of spill into each other because you'll have TikTok appearing in Instagram. Right, so right. and I think they just get so it's it's addictive. Um so yeah, Instagram is huge. And Instagram is very big in the film community as well. Um, because that makes sense because it's a visual medium and so is film. So and that's where everybody in the film industry goes to post their stuff. So yeah big 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 is tiktok big over there is it like one of the big ones now yeah well it would be like yes through, uh, through instagram but but also tiktok itself um and even book talk and all those things like my my daughter is on book talk she loves books so um yeah it's big i yeah. don't know that one that's that's for that's a book social media yeah is it well it's it's, it's tiktok but it's a particular sort of thread for book people no way yeah yeah and if your book gets on that and somebody promotes it like you could just do so well um yeah like go viral with it right on there on that website yeah absolutely it's massive on, do you think we have that here i just don't know about it oh yeah you yeah, know it's, it's all all over huh yeah yeah cool mm. i didn't i didn't know that i didn't know that so yeah. so the 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 new film that they're they're working on so so what's that about what's, what's the innkeeper about i just i was so the innkeeper is about a little girl called holly and she's seven and um she is trying to get a part in the nativity play the school nativity play and she puts her hands up for everything and including the male parts and she's getting nothing and her teacher tells her not to be desperate no one likes desperate and uh, eventually she gets the part of the innkeeper and she's very excited. Um, but then it's it's a comedy. She can't say no to Mary and Joseph. So in the rehearsal, she can't say no. And then on stage, there's a whole thing. I won't give it away, but there's a big punch at the end. It's like right. funny, 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 funny. You're going, oh, one of those. It's it's very, I think it's very special. And I, I can say that because I feel that it was something that was, just gifted to me it just sort of felt like it came through me um that it, it wasn't that I 
I was like, oh, I'm going to write a story about this. It just sort of channeled through me. So I feel it's like a gift that I was given and and I love it so much. When did you feel that story? Like when, you, when, you, when did you feel the inspiration for that coming on? Okay, so I'm going to give away the punchline right, right. because so it's a story. It's a story about homelessness, actually, um, and the reason why Holly can't say no to Mary and Joseph is she knows what it's like to not have a room for the night. So, um, yeah. So it came from a few things. So myself and my daughter. My daughter is is um, well, she's great, but she, when she was like twelve. Um, or so we would go into the city for drum lessons and we would pass homeless people. And so she started this thing that we would do every year on Christmas Eve. We'd create these shoe boxes of all the kind of things that homeless people might need on the streets. And when I say all the things, she thought of everything. Like the, My favorite thing she thought about was um, notepaper, envelope, pen, stamp, postage stamp, so that it the person might reach out to somebody in their life that they couldn't pick up the phone to. And I'm thinking, this is a 12 year old, my God, you know, but a reader. So huge empathy. Um, So, so we would go and we would give, we, we wrap them up as proper presents. Like, and they were, you know, each box was really valuable because there was a lot of stuff that we got. And, um, and Amy would gift the person. It wasn't charity. It was a present. And so, um, we did that for years and years and years. Um, and um, then this thing happened in Ireland. It was a real tragedy. Um, there was a homeless person sleeping in a tent beside the canal in Dublin. And the Dublin County Council or City Council decided they were going to clean up. Um, and they came along in a construction vehicle to lift the tent, but the poor man was inside and yeah, and they caused him like huge life altering injuries. And that I was just so emotionally impacted by that in a massive way. And I just think the story just came from my subconscious. Um, And I love that it's a story about Christmas because that's the ultimate story about homelessness and um I love that it's about children because I'm their biggest fan I just think they're the best humans and I love that it's funny like it's not lecturing you don't even know it's about homelessness until the very last scene um it's funny 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 and I think people who were never picked for anything in school i.e me will relate um but it's, it's it's I think it's really joyful but I hope it's also really powerful so it's I, called I the innkeeper yeah innkeeper i'm so excited to you know if i can consume it in any way i'm going to check it out for sure that's that's really cool too i you know it's a really thoughtful sentiment too for that i I sad about the 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 irishman that was yeah wow though yeah how many how many um how many how many children's stories do you have now like these, these are mostly children's stories that you write right um, I have a mixture. So I have novels for teenagers, um, like a trilogy and a historical novel. That so Irish history to me is really important because it's it's who we are in Ireland. Um, and so I have an, a novel of Irish history that is what we call crossover. It's about what we would see as teenagers now, but back then they would have seen themselves as adults. You know, kind of that era. You know, um, and then I've also books for older people um like adults i.e adults <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gotcha 
how long have you been, how long have you been writing for like your whole life like you've been writing no no so I started off I was a nurse that was my very first job and no then yeah that was like in the mid 80s and um I so that was a really tough time in Ireland for our economy we were very poor back then so like if you do go back and watch that movie The Commitments that's the way Ireland was back then it was very poor and um so it, it was it was very hard to be a nurse at that time because people weren't getting the proper care and it was a really hard job and I just couldn't keep doing it so I left and I did a thing called China Restoration which is like broken antiques fixing them that was a nightmare wow. yeah, yeah. I hate it. it was terrible like you know we had this I had this supervisor called Melissa but my nickname for her was Malice because she'd come along and she'd you know you'd have to take part whatever this item was right bit by bit if you can imagine sort of like a 3D jigsaw and you'd have to take it all apart because somebody would have tried to fix it to undo all their work and then build it back up again right and the important thing wasn't just how it looked Melissa or aka Malice would come along with her finger she'd run over the surface of the piece and if she felt any bump or unevenness you'd have to take it apart again oh I hated it it was awful it was tedious and luckily I got an allergy to the chemicals that I had to use like really bad allergy so I had to give up that was great and then I became a pharmaceutical sales rep you know going around to doctors talking about the drug pharmaceutical companies um big american pfizer you know pfizer yeah. um i was a pfizer sales rep and then um i went back to college and i studied public relations then i set up my own pr business then a friend of mine persuaded me to go back to college to do a master's and when i was doing that i realized a book didn't exist that should have existed so i wrote that and then i got a passionate urge to write fiction and then that's how i got into writing fiction wow that's, that's a really cool life. I, I, wow. But it means I don't forget it. I've, I've had so many changes. At least I remember different parts of it because I have such a bad memory. And then each time you move, you meet new people, you see a new way of life. So it's kind of like you've had a few lives. And that must be important to me because when I write as well, I am living two lives at any one time. I'm living my own life. And then whatever character I'm writing about, I I become them when I write. So I'm always living at least two lives. If I'm working on two projects, then I'm living three lives. You you feel you feel that way? Like, you, like when you're when you're writing these characters up, you feel like they're real. They're me. I yeah. am them. Yeah. So like I was writing. So one of the ones that's that's been optioned uh, was a teenage book. Um, a, a love story, but very sad, a bit like the Fall in Our Stars kind of vibe. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, and um, when I was writing that, <clears throat> main character is called Sarah, and I would be writing it, and I would be in ears, as in bawling, crying, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And then like, the postman might come or whatever, and I have to open the door, and I'm like, you probably You're thinking, right. oh, she had terrible news, that poor woman, and it's like just me writing my story, writing your story, yeah, but <laughs> giving my story. So yeah, what's your favorite character that you written? Is it is it her? She is absolutely one of my absolute favorites and i tell you why so this this trilogy of young adult novels they're called the butterfly novels and my idea was that each book would be written from a different friend's perspective so you'd start off with the main character alex then you would jump to sarah's story and then rachel's and each 
each one would still carry forward the story of the previous girls. So you'd be continuing Alex's story, but in the forefront would be Sarah. And my idea was when I was a teenager, I thought everybody thought the same way I thought until I fell in love for the first time. I was like, whoa. Um, So I thought, well, these girls look the same. They sound very similar. They go to the same school. They do the same stuff. But when you get inside somebody's head from their point of view, you realize, well, they're so different. And so the, the book that I'm talking about with Sarah is the second in the trilogy. And in the first book, she's not likable. She's not a likable person. Like she's she's not a great friend. She's very optimistic and she's kind of fun loving, but she's an awful lot of flaws. And I didn't like her. And so I was starting this novel about with this person I didn't like. And I thought, how am I going to write this? She drives me mad. And then um, I was doing this thing. It's called The Artist's Way. And it's about bringing creativity into your life. And it's not for artists, it's for everyone, right? You absolutely could do it if you want to be more creative in your life. Um, and it's a kind of like a program, a 12-week program. Sounds like <laughs> coming off alcohol or something, but it's not. It's really, really great fun. But one of the things it suggested that you do is once a week, you take yourself on an artist's date. So it's like you're taking your inner child on a date. So you just do something that's fun for you. You could be building sandcastles. It doesn't matter. The important thing is you do it on your own and you have fun. That's it. So I had decided that I was going to go to this. Um, it's called Kilmainham Jail. So it's in, in our history, we had a big revolution um, and it failed, of course, because we're Irish. And our yeah. Revolution always failed. Um, uh, but the, the, the people who were imprisoned afterwards were imprisoned in this jail. And it's now a tourist attraction and you can go visit it. And I wanted to see it. And so as I was driving to the jail, on my artist state, I had this revelation. Sarah was going to shoplift. Once I had that, I am not joking you, the whole story just unfolded and wrote itself. And she went from being an unlikable person through her story, which is a story of falling in love with someone that, you know, it's going to be a difficult journey for her. Um, and she just becomes this total and utter ninja that I just loved so much. But that there's, I mean, so many of my characters I love, but there was one, another very special character for me was a little boy called Charlie in a book called Pause to Rewind. So I write my, um, my adult fiction under the name Amy Alexander. They're my two kids' names combined. Um, and Amy is the French spelling, just to make life difficult. And uh, so that story is about a young single mother whose little boy gets sick. He gets leukemia and she has to, it's a particular type of leukemia. And she has to find a donor for him. And the clock is ticking and his name is Charlie. And so Charlie is one of my other absolute favorite characters. I loved him so much. I was devastated when I finished writing that book because it was like he was gone from my life because I'd finished right. writing it. Like you get that attached to your characters. Like they're real people to you. It's like I feel disrespectful calling them characters. Right. Because you've yeah, because you've spent so much time with them. They're real. Like to me, they're real people, you know. Right. This is where Steve goes, this woman is mad. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think this is cool because you you make this world up in your mind. Like this is kind of like the world of I I don't know, podcasting. I try to make 
story. Like these are, these are stories to me, you know. So just and I like I love hearing your story. I think that's really cool. I I really I really just I think that's your creativity is what brings these characters out. I think that's really cool. But in the had this really weird experience. Um, so one of my books is called Through the Barricades. That's my historical one about the Irish history. And when I was writing that, it it, it was fully intended to be about the revolution. It's called the Easter Rising in Ireland, right? But at the same time, World War One was happening. And what happened was the English, who were our big, big enemy, um, and who we were trying to, you know, go up against, fight against and get out of our country. Um, they persuaded a huge amount, thousands and thousands of the rebels who were preparing to fight that if they joined the British army in the Irish regiments, they would get Irish freedom when the war was over. This is and it was supposed to be only three months. So they thought it was a good deal. And they all joined up and they, they had they were oh. They had a terrible experience of one, one special um, regiment called the PALS, P-A-L-S. Um, they were all sports people and they went out to um, Gallipoli in Turkey and, you know, pretty much were annihilated. But I found this book, this old book that was written in 1917, just a year after it happened. And at the back of that book were little photographs, little black and white photographs of the young men, they were all around 19 who went off to war. And what struck me as really so interesting was these faces, you could meet them in the street. They weren't right. like, you know, the way old photographs and it, it's like people of another era. These were like boys that you would see now on the street. And I just yeah. thought, wow, amazing. And this was their record of what actually happened this regiment when they went out to Gallipoli. And I read that and then I looked at these photographs and there were about four or five guys. And I thought, OK, I'm going to write these as characters around my central male figure in the story. And um, they came to life. Like, it's, it's as if the real people, I'm not joking you, channeled all their dialogue and their emotion, everything through me. So one of the a very Irish thing is when everything is really dark. You know, when you're in the trenches and everything is absolutely terrible and people that, you know, and love and have grown to love, you know, your brothers in arms are being killed. What do you do? You laugh and you joke and you make fun. And that was my experience writing those scenes. And the hilarious thing is that part of the book is my absolute favorite part of the book, even though it wasn't intended at all. Um, so sometimes the, the thing that's channeling it just feels like it's from a person who lived before you know what I mean it's yeah. crazy it's really powerful and you kind of feel you're giving these people a voice because they didn't have one because when the when the war was over the soldiers never spoke about what they went through you right. know and they were never seen as heroes either they were almost ashamed right that's so it was nice to, be able to, yeah. to Channel that story and to bring it to to modern Irish people or whoever you know reads the book. It's, it's so crazy looking back at these these things that happened in history too. That you hear the stories, you hear like you hear the stories of it, but when you see the the picture or like I, like I went to uh, Auschwitz a few years ago and I remember uh, seeing seeing like there one of the uh, one of the camps they had all pictures of the prisoners that when they when they first came in. They took pictures of them, and then the side face. It was almost like a, like a like a lineup, like a police thing. Um, yeah, there you go. And um, 
and and like like kids too like they're you know they're teen teenagers and, and younger older all different ages and stuff all that have you know since uh, all every picture that you saw the person had died there was just it was thousands and thousands oh. and uh but you and you see the the name and it's it's hard it's hard for like your mind to fathom that um all of them had their own story prior to getting there and that that's where it ended for them and you know what i mean it was it's very very uh humbling experience so and then that and that story ended there there you know a hundred years has passed and i don't know that that was that was a time and now we're, we're at our time i don't know it's just i think it's really cool that you write stories that, that story that you wrote was written inspired by those those faces that you saw you know yeah and these are just people who are just just like you and i just doing our own thing, thing. suddenly everything changes and you're in this situation and and it's not your fault and you know even the soldiers are just people who are forced to fight in war and they didn't sign up for it they're you know like even the irish rebels in the revolution were teachers and poets and you know they weren't you know yeah it's uh, yeah it's it's crazy you know you have to and I remember my son because he he loves computer games. He was thought, oh, I think I'll be an army. You know, I'll, I'll join the army. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know, Alex, but you do actually have to obey orders. Like if they tell you to walk straight out into the line of fire, you have to do it. You know, and and he, he thought, oh right, okay, well maybe I won't, because <laughs> you know he has a total problem taking orders. <laughs> yep, my mom same way. I, I I wanted to do it, and my my mom kind of schooled me the same way because yeah. You don't, re- you know, you don't realize too when you're younger. And the crazy part is too, is that all these wars that were fought, a lot of them were, were the young kids. You know, it's hard yeah. to believe. World War Two, they're all like 17, 18 years old. You know, yeah. fresh out of high school or, or you know, you know, right like during high school age. It's crazy to believe that that was. It's I don't know, and what they saw, like, I had a, a great uncle that was uh he was a World War Two vet. You remember him telling some stuff and. It's like, oh my God, he wanted to be a doctor. And after after the World War II, he was like, nope, oh. I, I saw too much carnage. Imagine being that age and seeing all that stuff, you know, people getting blown up and stuff. And that, oh, it's just. You never, never. Incredible. Scary stuff. But I don't know. I, I was talking to my buddy today. We're, we're saying how we live in the most peaceful time in human history. That's what he thinks. And I think he's, I think he's got. A point, I guess. He's saying how, because you know, throughout history, people were always killing each other. There's always wars, but um, for for the most part, we have like the biggest uh, popula- population we've ever had, and without you know mass murder, I, I guess I don't know. I, I, I he could tell me the the line better. He had a good good argument. It's like yeah, it's like I get worried because of the the, like, the war in Ukraine and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. but, but what I think, though, I really think that it's cool that you you are able to channel these um, these stories through. It's like they live through you. Yeah, it's, it changes changes my perspective as well. For example, when I go into the city now, so I live about eight kilometers outside of Dublin, 
And when I go into the city, there's a lot of beautiful old buildings. And before I might have just passed them by and not so much noticed them. Now, when I go in, I am not joking. It's like I see shadows of the rebels fighting. I know where the different garrisons were, you know, where people were on top of Trinity College firing down on the the GPO, which was the general post office where it was the main headquarters. It's like my whole city has changed. It's like you it's like the ghosts of the place. You almost see them, you know what I mean? And the struggle. Um and the people who were prepared to die for, you know, especially the poorer people right. of Ireland. Um and uh and when they did, the, the ironic thing is when they did, you know, put their lives at stake on that Easter Monday, um, you know, the, the the poor people that they were rising up for were kind of like, what are you doing? You know, they were, they were almost abusive to them. So it was, I don't think they ever felt like heroes. Do you know what I mean? Even yeah. though they were prepared to die or whatever. Yeah. What year was this? Or what, when, like how long? Nin- in 1916. Oh, okay. Yeah. So right in the middle of the World War, in the First World War. There's a lot going down back then. There's a whole <laughs> lot. <laughs> you see, I think the Irish felt that it was like the English were busy with the First World War, so it was a really good shot time to, to rise. Right. And, yeah. And it and and they might have done a well, they would have done a lot better if um like the lion's share of the rebels went off to fight with the Irish rebels or the Irish regiments in the First World War. So we, they lost a huge amount of their um, colleagues to the World War. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I almost, you know what I never understood in uh, complete zag of the conversation, but why did Japan bomb Pearl Harbor? Where, where did that come from? It came out of nowhere, it seemed like. Yeah, well, I suppose they were it was opportunistic. They thought they, you know, maybe the same thing. Like they're all busy. We'll just come in and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's what it I seemed like. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> everybody was like doing their thing, and next thing you know, like you know, you got Hitler doing this and that. And next thing you know, you got Japan. What, what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. They never, they never taught us over here in, in America why or in this, oh, yeah. my, not in my high school. <laughs> good point why why does anybody do anything why did why are we at war ever you know that, that's true too mm. it's freaky stuff well i appreciate you talking with you i, I love i love uh that we we have kept in contact and i really i really do want to see the the innkeeper and oh. i gotta you know what i'm, I'm gonna check out your book the uh the butterfly novels, novels. yeah so they're they, under- they're on they're on um Amazon. If you go on Amazon and you put in Denise Deegan and then you put in um well the first one is called And By the Way. Okay. And then the second one's And Fury Information. And then And Actually. All right. The butterfly. Yeah, can you find them there? Yep, you see your own. Wait, which is one? Through the barricades. Through the barricades. That's the one I'm talking about. That's the historical one. Okay. Who who are these these uh girls in the artwork? Oh, uh, the, well, the 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 girl in the artwork for Through the Barricades is my daughter. No way. Yeah, that's oh Amy. Yeah, that's so cool. How about yeah. in By the Way, like this blonde girl? There, yeah, they're they're you know stock images that the publish. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, the third one. Okay, gotcha. Cool. What's this? Is this you, Blau, Blauer Schmetter? Oh, Blair 
Visioning. So that's the German um, translation of Blue Butterfly, which is it's now called The Accidental Life of Greg Miller. So that's one of my adult ones that's under the Amy Alexander pen name. A-I-M-E-E, by the way. Gotcha. Turning Turtle. Turning Turtle was my very first novel, actually. Um, and that is now published under a different name, um, under Amy Alexander as All We Have Lost. So Turning Turtle itself has gone out of print. So I'd say that's a secondhand copy of a, an originally published one, I think. Love, love Comes Tumbling. Love Comes Tumbling. Okay, so this one, okay, so I have to tell you the story of this novel, right? So this, this novel was originally published by Penguin and it was called Love Comes Tumbling. Then what, what happens when a book eventually goes out of print is you get your publishing rights back. So then I, at this time, this was, I think, around 2012, maybe, um, self-publishing started. Mm -hmm. And I was so interested in trying out that whole adventure. Because, well, you know, my background, always changing, trying new things. And I thought it'd be really interesting, rather than just have my rights back and do nothing with them, to self-publish these books um, under a new name. So reinvent myself as Amy Alexander. Yeah. Then um, look at the books, see if I need to update them. This is the really interesting thing is, right, do I need to re-edit them? So it was something like maybe eight years past before they were originally, since they were really originally published. So I um, I read through them and I thought, this is incredible. Like, First of all, I wanted to change lots of things, but also yeah. how language changes in that period of time. Incredible. I couldn't believe it, the way language changes. You don't notice it because it's so incremental. So... I, I re-edited them and and published them. So the book that was originally Love Comes Tumbling, I republished that as The Accidental Life of Greg Miller, right? Okay. Then so Amazon actually published books. They have an they have an imprint. So they are not just a, a book distributor, they publish books as a publisher. You right. know, they, they people from Harper Collins, all that kind of thing, and they bring out books. So they saw that this book was really popular. So they said, could we publish this? So then they republished it as The Accidental Life of Greg Miller. And okay. then when I writes back, I've republished it again. So it's this book has been published by three different you know, it's had yeah. three different iterations, um, but it's it's a really popular book about a, a woman. She falls for this guy and he just seems to be, you know, um, really um, exciting. I described him in the book as like a, a vitamin C effervescent tablet on full fizz. You know, that's yeah. what he's just kind of just popping and he's like really witty and he's funny and he's charming. And he talks fast and he's always doing stuff. And she she doesn't want to fall for someone because she's grieving the loss of her fiance and um, she falls for this guy they go to the south of France there's a heat wave, everything's building his behaviour gets quite intense and extreme and he has these two kids because he's a widow and she's sort of left minding the kids a lot and wondering what the hell he's doing 
and it all blows up into this big thing, which I won't say. Um, but yeah, that's the accident life of Greg Miller. Okay. Mm hmm. That's a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm adding these to my cart right now. This is my. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Down, down, I want to. <laughs> I got a new bookshelf too. I want to load it up. Oh yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Plumber Radio Episode Two, featuring my friend Denise Deegan. Part two of this episode will be releasing later this week. But for now, thank you for listening to this. A solid hour long. I heard from our last episode it was kind of long, so we'll break it up this one into two pieces. Because when you got a lot to say to somebody, sometimes you just gotta keep talking. If you listened this far, I really appreciate it. G Baby, if you're listening, bro, you're the man. We had a pretty good following for the first episode, so hopefully this continues. I love you guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry for the schedule. I'm sorry we haven't, or we, me, I haven't been releasing things at a rapid pace. Things have been kind of busy, but getting back into it. I love doing this. I love talking to people. Denise, fantastic. Let's keep rocking. Keep the momentum going. Have a great summer. Let's go. Plumber Radio forever. Peace out.